0: come from the book of Psalms. They're they're songs that were written thousands of years ago by people of faith who were experiencing many of the same emotions in very different contexts that we experience today. Um, You know, in a couple months, this is a a celebration that's newer. We'll celebrate St. Patrick's Day. In this country, we'll celebrate it with shamrocks and leprechauns and lucky charms and and for some reason, pinching everyone who's not wearing green. Um, it's a, children love that part. I'm not sure, I'm not sure all adults do. Um, you know, the origin of that holiday comes from St. Patrick. St. Patrick was a Christian man who was born about 400 A.D. Uh, he was born in the northwest part of Britain. Uh, he was the son of a Catholic deacon, the grandson of a Catholic priest, and when he was 16, uh, he was kidnapped by some Irish um, sailors and taken back to Ireland where he was forced to raise cattle as a slave in Ireland for several years. He was there for uh, about six years, and while he was in the fields tending the cattle in Ireland, he began to pray more and more often. In his book, Confessions, that he would write sometime later, uh, as he talked about what it meant to be a Christian who was uh, living in Ireland, uh, a a British slave who was living in a country that wasn't his own, tending cattle that were not his own as a slave, he began to pray a hundred times a day. He said, I'd I'd pray a hundred times a day, and then at night, I'd pray a hundred times more. And I just, I went to God about all the things that were going on. And so for someone who had someone else's cattle as his companions, he truly came to understand that his greatest companion in the day and in the night, in the storms and in the sun, was his Lord and Savior, which was God. And he prayed all the time, and and finally, uh, on one night he had a dream, and that dream revealed to him that, that he had a path to escape, and he ventured 200 miles on foot and negotiated his passage back to Britain, where he then gained his independence and began to live as a free man. And as he grew older in Britain, a time came when he was in his uh, early to mid-30s that he received another vision. God came to Patrick and said, I want you to go back to Ireland. I want you to go back to the land of your captivity, to the people who oppressed you, and I want you to tell them about Jesus. And so Patrick left the comfort and security of Britain, and he went to Ireland, which was populated then by the Celtic people, a people that at that time were very pagan and that believed in all kinds of natural gods and deities and spirits. And he began to tell them about Jesus. And he began to tell them about how he was once a slave set free in Ireland, that they could become Irish people who were slaves set free in Jesus Christ. And the whole nation began converting under his missionary effort to Christianity. And one of the things that marked early Celtic Christianity is they became this people uh, that were infused with prayer. Patrick taught them to pray uh, in every moment and in every opportunity. And so Celtic Christianity has prayers for every part of the day. If you're a Celtic Christian woman, you wake up and you pray as you get out of bed, God, thank you for getting me, waking me up so that I can have another day. And as you go and begin uh, cleaning the dishes and the cooking utensils, you pray that God would clean you as you clean these dishes. And as you go and you milk the cow, there's a prayer for milking the cow, and there's a prayer for exiting the home and entering the home. And all of Celtic life was infused with these prayers that reminded them that every movement of your life and every moment of the day is an opportunity for you to connect with God, for you to become aware of God's presence. They learned this from the cattle slave who was brought there by the Irish who came back and taught them what he learned praying in the fields. You know, maybe it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that that many of Israel's psalms and uh, songs and prayers were also written by a shepherd. Uh, David, who we're talking about this month and next month and looking at all the different aspects of his life, was a skilled harpist. It is, in fact, his skill with the harp that initially introduces him into King Saul's court. Uh, King Saul gets in a temper one day and he says, I need someone that can come in and play the harp and soothe me. And someone says, I know just such a musician. And they bring David in and he begins singing songs and playing on his harp and soothing Saul's temper. But when you go through the book of Psalms, what you find is that over and over again, they begin uh, with something like this, for the director of music to the tune of the Doe in the morning a psalm of David, a psalm of David. And so this guy that we so often think of as the giant killer and the king and the guy with the mighty men, and we think about the stories of Bathsheba and all of these different, huge, larger-than-life stories with David, are, those are all real. But there's 150 psalms in the Old Testament. And of the 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, David wrote 73 of them. David is the author of almost exactly half of the psalms that we have from Israel's songbook and prayer book. And you have to wonder if all those years that he spent with the sheep looking up at the stars gave him a moment for awe and wonder. Wonder if those times that he was going through the storms out there with the sheep, if he cried out to God for relief and protection. If when he went to fight off the bear and the lion that he said, God, it is only if you are on my side that I can achieve the victory that I need. These Psalms that David writes, the 73 of them, cover every bit of, of, of life, every season of life, every piece of his walk with God is covered in some way in these Psalms that he left us. 23rd books of the Bible You know, one of the things that I hope you see as we move through the Psalms today, and we're going to read a number of David's Psalms, and, and you'll see how, how he's writing to God in different seasons and in different times. And what I hope you see is that David is always honest with God about what's going on in his life. And I think we struggle with that. I think we have a hard time being fully honest and, and, and vulnerable in front of God when we go to pray to him. I know at different times in my life I have been. Um, I've shared with you many times before that, that in some of the hardest times in my life, I was still beginning my prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and for the weather uh, and for all the blessings you give me. And this was in a season in life where I didn't care about the weather and it wasn't a good day. And it turns out that not telling God the truth made me feel really separated from God in those times. It made me feel like God wasn't present. But the truth is, God was always present. He was just waiting for me to tell him the truth about what I was going through. And if you think about a parent, can you imagine as a parent if you call your kid up and you know they're going through some tough stuff in life? You know that your kids are going through some stuff, whether it's at school or they're adults now and they've got trouble at work and trouble in their marriage and trouble at home. And you call them and you say, hey, how are you doing? And if your kid says, I'm fine, the weather's good, thanks for calling. And they're going to hang up and you're going to go, just, man, I wish you'd just tell me what you're going through. I wish you would just hurt with me so that I could be present to you. And I may not have the answers, but but just don't, don't shut me out when you're going through this. If we who are imperfect parents feel that way, then how much more so does God who is the perfect parent, want us to tell him the truth about our bad days and want us to tell him the truth about our great days and not just get to where we're just sending him the same postcards from earth over and over again that say, hey, God, checking in. Thanks for the food and the people that made it. Amen. Hope I wake up in the morning. David gives us this incredible example. And so when we read Psalm 23 and he says... Uh, you are a shepherd who guides me. David knows what it's like to be a shepherd who's guiding the sheep. David knows how dangerous the valley can be when you're taking the sheep through it. David knows what it's like to be in the green pastures by the still waters where there's warmth and safety with the sheep and the shepherd can relax and be present to them. And, And these pages of Psalms are filled with these beautiful sentiments There are images that are so close to David's life and heart. And he says, I know, God, that you're that close to me and my heart. Psalm 23 comes from a moment of confidence. Things are going well. But in David's life, just like ours, and you've heard it several times today, there's always seasons where things go wrong. There's times that that things go wrong and happen to us, and there's times that we go wrong, that we're the problem. We're the ones that have messed up. And some of David's failures were big failures. David is the probably, he probably is the most famous adulterer in the history of the world for his adultery with Bathsheba, and his taking her when she didn't belong to him, and of his trying to dispose of the evidence of his unfaithfulness by having her husband killed in battle because of his faithfulness to David and to the troops. So Psalm 51 begins like this, for the director of music, a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. I don't know if you know this about kings and politicians. Uh, They really like to cover up their mistakes. Have you noticed this? Not many politicians ever say, you know what, I made a mistake, I did it wrong, my bad. This is David's worst moment. This is David's biggest failure. This is David's most evil act And after he does it, he not only writes a song to God, repenting, confessing, crying out, asking God for forgiveness, but when he's done with it, here's what he writes at the top for the director of music. He publishes it. Isn't that incredible? To publicly confess your mistakes, so that other people for for thousands of years going forward would be able to read it and connect with their need and their desire to call out to God, God, forgive me for my sins. So David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. We need this example. See, our tendency is, we kind of have two choices here, two paths. When we sin and we do something wrong, there's this David path of when we're confronted with our mistakes, we go to God and we say, God, if you will forgive me, if you will blot out my iniquities, if you will erase all of my mistakes, I will tell everyone how much you've forgiven me. I will tell everyone how good you are and how blessed I am because of your forgiveness. God, don't don't hide from me. Hide your face from the things I've done wrong, but don't hide from me. God, I need you. I need you close in this moment of of trying to renew my faith and my spirit and to become steadfast. God, you've got to be here while I'm going through this. That's the David path, right? We like the Adam and Eve path. where where it's time for us to come into the presence of God and God comes to where we are and we hide, right? We know that we've done something wrong. We know that we're exposed. We know that God's going to know we've done something wrong. And God says, where are you? And we say, nowhere. There's nothing to see here. And we think Adam and Eve are ridiculous, but you also know that feeling when you've done the thing you shouldn't have done and you go to pray and all you can get out is, dear God, thank you for this day, good night, amen, and you back out real quick. Like maybe he didn't see me while I was here. Maybe I got out before he saw my mistakes and my transgressions and my other words for, our screw ups. I think, boy, that was uncomfortable. He almost saw me there. I almost didn't get away with that one before he saw me there. And so we're going to kind of think, I probably ought to go a couple more days before I pray again. Because we take this Adam and Eve approach. What we need is okay. David's honest crying out to God God, forgive me, and I'll tell other people how much you've forgiven me. And we own it. Everybody. We're honest to God God, I've messed up. But it's not always our fault. There's other times that the problems in our life are based on circumstances beyond our control. In Psalm 22, things have gone really bad for David. Uh, Psalm 22 says, For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a psalm of David. This psalm is one of the lament psalms. And a lament psalm is a psalm where everything is going bad and the only person you can take it to is God. We've got this idea that Christians should be cheerful all the time. If you're happy and, you know, clap your hands, right? All the time. You're at a funeral and the Christian response is, if you're happy and, you know, clap your hands. You shouldn't sing that at a funeral if you're wondering. That's not a funeral song. There are days when it's God's desire for us to say, God, today is awful. Today things are going all wrong. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it. and God, I'm going to beg you to make them different. I'll tell you the pieces. The, the lament psalm has an order that it's supposed to follow, and David's follows it. The lament psalm starts with an address. It starts with a direct, uh, a direct address to God. God, you're in charge, and so I've got to tell you what's wrong because you're the only one that has the power to fix it. So I've got to send this prayer to you, not to anybody else. It begins with an address, and then it moves into the complaint. God, I'm gonna tell you what's wrong, and I'm gonna give you the details, and I'm gonna tell you how I feel about it. And then there's the plea. The plea after the complaint is, now here's what I want you, God, to do about it. I want you to change things. And for us today, our kind of approach to prayer a lot of times is, is, Father, if it's your will, Please remove the terrible, awful, very bad, no good thing from my day. If it's your will, psalmists don't do that. Psalmists say, God, you're in charge. Today stinks. Fix it. Because you can fix it. Nobody else can. I can't turn anywhere else. You've got to do it. And then after they give the plea, they give the stakes. God, if you do this, then I'm going to tell the world about how great you are. It'll be to your glory. If you don't do this, I'm going to go to the pit of despair. That's what's at stake with this prayer, God. It's honest. It's wrong. And then there's a surprise twist that comes at almost every one of the lament psalms. Forty percent of the psalms are lament psalms. And all but like two end in a statement of incredible faith. It turns out if you have the willingness to trust someone you love enough to tell them the truth about what's going wrong, that the, the relationship that that builds on the other side of it comes out stronger. So the honest prayer of someone uh, that is suffering helps to build your faith in the God you're praying to. Amen. So listen to how bad things are in Psalm 22 for David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In our ancestors, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb, and you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. Trouble is near, and there's no one here to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. You, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. When was the last time you prayed like that? When was the last time that things were so bad that you cried out to God and you said, God, my bones, my heart are melted. I can't stand. People are gloating over me. Things are horrible. And I pray that right now you can't pray that prayer honestly. Leaders of this church, pray for this church to not be in the place where they can pray this prayer. We pray that you'll be in a place where you're at the green pastures and have the confidence of Psalm 23, which is, starts in the next verse, thank goodness. Man, this prayer, it takes you all the way down as deep as you can go. And by the time you're honest with God, It brings you all the way up to where you're convinced that God will be exalted for generations among all the nations of earth because you're telling him the truth on your worst day. There's power in that honesty. There's power in finding ways to give your words and your truth, your heart song to God. And you don't have to be a poet or a musician to do this. There are so many ways to to go through all of these seasons. We've got one more because we've got to finish the cycle of all the seasons because there's times where Psalm 23 we've got confidence and there's times like uh, Psalm 51 where we've sinned and we need to get God's forgiveness. There's times when we're down in the pit, but there's times where we go to Psalms of Thanksgiving like Psalm 9. We're just going to read the first part of it. But here's some of Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. Psalm 23 is from a place of confidence that God's going to take care of you no matter what. Psalm 9 is from the confidence that of knowing what it was like to be in the pit and having God pull you out. There is a powerful, powerful testimony for people that have been through the ringer, for people that have have been all but left for dead, who have been abandoned, who have been in despair, who have gone through seasons of loss and depression, who've been through grief and walked with God and felt his presence with them. And they can look back and say, whoa, that was bad. God pulled me out of it. God got me out of there. That, that story resonates. The world hears when we proclaim among all the nations about all that God has done to pull us out of those seasons. And, and we need those prayers. And, and here's what I, I hope you're beginning to see is that every season of your life has a heart song and a truth that is inside of you that it is important for you to verbalize to God. And really it's important for you to verbalize to others too when God's faithful. You got to tell them what God's done for you. You got to tell them what he did when you were in the pit. God, through David and other psalmists, gives us these songs and prayers in in the book of Psalms. If you really want to deepen your prayer life, if you find that you're praying the same shallow prayers over and over again, that you're just going through the motions of prayer, and you're thanking him for your food, and you're giving him your wish list for what you want to be better tomorrow, and then you're closing it out asking for a good night's sleep, or whatever it is that's your pattern, If you're running through those same shallow prayers over and over again, I wanna give you some practical ways that you can deepen your prayer life today. So that you can become someone who has the words to voice to God and to others in every season what's really going on in your heart. One is you can actually just read the Psalms. If you wanna read all the way through the book of Psalms in one month, all you do is you read 80 verses a day every day for 30 days and you've read all the way through the Psalms. And you're gonna find that your prayer life will get deeper every single day that you let those words enter your mind and you think, man, what am I needing to be praying about today? Uh, Other things you can do to deepen your prayer life uh, is commit time to prayer so that you aren't just going through it at the end of your day or before a meal as an afterthought or as a habit that's not truly relational. Have a prayer space. Go to a particular space that when you're there, your spirit, your mind, and your body all say, I know what I'm here for. And it, the, the way when we discipline our body towards prayer, it disciplines our spirit toward prayer. And those physical habits of prayer, postures of prayer, can remind us to come into a spiritual posture in front of God's presence. Don't be afraid to be quiet And listen for God's spirit to push you or nudge you or to guide you, to give you a word that you need to hear uh, or a sense of calling for something that he has placed on your heart or in front of your eyes that you haven't noticed. Listen for God's still, quiet voice to move you towards where he wants you to go and to call you where he wants you to be sent. Get a prayer journal And keep track not only of the things you've been praying would happen, but the things that you prayed about that have happened. And how God has worked through those prayers, through the yeses, the nos, the maybes, and the laters, to guide you and shape you for who you need to be in his kingdom. The other thing that I would recommend is this. Pray with great prayer people. And please, if you're hearing this, and you're thinking, man, my prayers aren't anything like David's, Find great prayer people that you can pray with. Maybe just once, maybe regularly, maybe uh, as needed, but find people that you can pray with, uh, ideally in person. Find people that you know are prayer warriors and say, hey, can we just get together and both of us pray and, and do this every now and then so that my prayers and your prayers can be sharpened by one another? As iron sharpens iron, so one man to another. Find great prayers in Scripture. There are so many great prayers that fill the pages of the Bible, whether it's Jesus' prayer in John 17, Moses and Miriam's song of victory in Exodus 15, Hannah's prayer of praise in 1 Samuel 2, or her crying out, asking for something in the passages prior to that, Asaph's psalms of despair in Psalm 77. David's prayer of repentance that we read earlier in Psalm 51. Solomon's prayer of dedication uh, for the temple in 2 Chronicles 6. The Pharisees' and tax collectors' prayers, which are short, but show so much about about honesty and and bearing our heart with vulnerability before God. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, uh, when he said that he was leaving them and, and really seems to think that he is on death's doorstep as he heads to Jerusalem, I think that he believes he's going to die like Jesus did, only to find out that God's not done with him yet in another time of prayer. These prayers are are revealing to us not just the vocabulary, but the hearts of people that were close to the heart of God. And it gives us a a model for ways that we can pray uh, in our own words and in our own way the heart song that we have in the season that we're in. So that we can grow closer to God. Uh, There's books that are filled with great prayers. Uh, If you're a parent and you want great prayers with your kids, uh, you've got to get Imaginative Prayer uh, by Jared Boyd. And it has prayer exercises that you can be going through with your children. Uh, We've used this in several camp classes. uh, And anytime I give it to one of our teachers to use in the class, um, they steal it because they want to use it in their own prayer life. Because it turns out the prayers of children are close to the heart of Christ. Uh, I've got a book in my office. It's called Here's My Heart. It's part of a series of prayers uh, written by a minister named Ray Harden who had great prayers. And some of his prayers are prayers over certain people's weddings or certain people's funerals. And, And as a minister, I read through his prayers and my life is enriched. My relationship with God is enriched by being a witness to his uh, there's an app that you can get on your phones called Reimagining the Examine. that, that takes the prayer of, of St. Ignatius of Loyola that's been prayed by millions of Christians over hundreds of years, and it reimagines it in words that make more sense today and that you can reflect through and pray and listen to what God may be wanting you to hear. Another book, The Prayer Life of Martin Luther King Jr. by Lewis Baldwin, takes us through how not only was Martin Luther... Uh, King Jr., a great leader and preacher, but when he was offstage, he was someone who was a great warrior in prayer. And these prayers give us uh, a new sense of what we can be doing in developing our own vocabulary to communicate to God our truths in every season. Uh, King Jr., a great leader and preacher, but when he was offstage, he was someone who was a great warrior in prayer. And these prayers give us a new sense of what we can be doing in developing our own vocabulary to communicate to God our truths in every season. When you read someone else's prayers, my advice is to listen to their words and read them. And then as you finish their prayer, just keep praying now with your words and your circumstances. And and what you'll find is that you can stand on the shoulders of prayer giants and move forward as a result of what they give you, of what they share with you. More than anything else, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. When you go to pray to God, don't bother being anything except completely honest. Cuz he already knows. He's just waiting for you to tell him the truth. And if you're willing to do it, what you're going to find at the end of that prayer is greater faith, is greater testimony, it's greater trust. It's greater love for the God that's always there in the green pastures in the darkest valley. What's your song? It may not be poetic or musical at all. You may let your song out through art. You may do it through movement. You may do it through journaling. You may do it through song, uh, singing other people's songs. You may do it through your prayer life. But there is a song that God has put in you, and it's your job to let it find its way out for his glory that you give to him and his glory that you share with the world that needs to know what God's done for you. Because God's there all the time waiting for you to tell him the truth and tell the world the truth about all he's done. So find your prayer song, find your heart song in this season and in every season and give it to God.